0: We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, if you'd be finding that so we get in the Scripture today, Mark chapter 5, and this begins kind of a, a transition in the Gospel of Mark in that he's been talking more in the ch- chapters previous to this about uh, the parables, the teaching about uh, the Word of God, the effect of the Word of God. And then in the last message, last Sunday, we were in Mark chapter 4, the end of the chapter, when, he, when Jesus uh, directed his disciples to go across the Sea of Galilee. And then in chapter 5 and verse 1, they cross over the sea, and that's what we'll take up today. And this really begins uh, a series of, of teachings, a series of events that Mark is going to record that have to do with many of the miracles of Jesus. And what we're going to talk about today is one of the most dramatic Uh, conversions of of the Scripture and probably um, just as absolutely a miracle. And uh, uh, the Gospel of Mark really uh, records more miracles than any of the other Gospels, more than uh, Matthew or Luke or John. And so this begins this portion of really focusing on what God can do. And it's good to focus on what God can do. And sometimes we lose hope. We think there's no hope for me. There's no hope for this person. You know, we've tried this. It didn't work before. But this lesson is really a lesson about help for the hopeless. Because here's a man that if ever there was a man that could not be helped, we're going to read about him today and see how God really worked in his life. Well, let's stand together for the reading of the scripture and then we'll pray together. Mark chapter 5. And I want to begin by reading in verse 1. And... We're going to take this um, this miracle, this, this event that's recorded here in Mark's gospel, and really divide it into two messages, but a big portion of it we'll cover today. Mark chapter 5 and verse 1, And they came over unto the other side of the sea. That's the Sea of Galilee. Remember the storm we talked about last week. There's, they were going through the Sea of Galilee and, and all that went along with that in that storm. They came over unto the other side of the sea toward the east into the country of the Gadarenes. And we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but um, there was the major city in that area, the country of the Gadarenes, is um, Gadara. We've got you a map here just so you can see it, kind of get a visual of this. You see the Sea of Galilee, and there on the right part of the portion of the map. Let's go back to that if we could. You see the Sea of Galilee, and then down below the Sea of Galilee, south and to the east, to the right is Gadara. That whole area is called the area of the Gadarenes. So if you look at the Sea of Galilee, you see at the northern part of it is Capernaum. And then if you look at the left-hand part, tiberius that's the largest city on the Sea of Galilee, the only really large city on the Sea of Galilee. And so they've traveled from the west side, from the left side, to the right side, to the east side. And then up at the city, you see that city there, the Ger- Gergesa. That's in Matthew's gospel, when it records this event, it's called the, the country of the Gergesenes. And that's because... That city, Gergesa, is close to where this event took place, but the region was the Gadarenes near Gadara. And uh, let's just go ahead and look at a couple of other pictures here, and you'll get a picture of this in your mind. That's if you were on the Sea of Galilee looking to the east, this is the, this is the topography that you would see, this rough, rugged territory. Let's go to the next picture. Here again you see this because we're going to read about how these swine ran down the hill into the Sea of Galilee. So if you see that you get a visual of that. This is actually a picture from the south and if you look up into the top middle part of the map to the left there's the Sea of Galilee. So you're looking actually uh, from what we would call today the Golan Heights. And it's from uh, Jordan. If you were the country of Jordan, you're from the south. You're looking north. You can see in those valleys the Sea of Galilee. In that rugged Egypt district to the right is what you hear in the news today: the Golan Heights. It's a Israel. It's a disputed territory, but Israel controls much of that, and uh, it's a very rugged area. And so that's exactly what we're talking about here in Mark chapter five. Thanks for the photos, guys. Let's look at. Let's read on, beginning in verse two. It says. Uh, they come to the, the country of the Gadarenes, and when he was come up out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could tame or bind him, no, not with chains. Further describing this man, it says, Because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, For he said unto him, Jesus said unto him, unto this man, who was demon-possessed, he says, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, Jesus asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, this demon answered and said, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him, this spirit talking to Jesus, he besought Jesus, Uh, much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000, 2,000 pigs into the sea. What a waste, all that bacon. (laughs) And were choked in the sea. They drowned. They that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. They went out to see what it was that was done. These people from the community began to come and see what had taken place. And let's read verse 15 before we pray. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Father, we thank you today for the Word of God. We thank you for providing for us and preserving for us the words of Scripture, the very Word of God. And Father, we can read for ourselves and we can study and we can learn about the amazing events that took place around the Sea of Galilee, the lives that were changed. And Father, we thank you that you're still in the business of changing lives today. We pray that you'd bless as we study the scripture together, help us to learn, help us to grow. Lord, help us to mix faith with the word of God and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So as we said, this group of disciples and Jesus, they, tra- they traveled across the Sea of Galilee. Very difficult, very dangerous journey. And they come to this region and they're met in verse 2 by a man who lived in the tombs, it says. Notice what it says in verse 2. And when he was come out of the ship, when Jesus was come out of the ship, immediately... There met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Now in Matthew, if you read in the Gospel of Matthew, when he records this, he said there were two men were there at that time. And Matthew says they were possessed with devils. Which is another way of saying they had, he had, they had an unclean spirit. I think it's interesting it says in verse 2, that as soon as Jesus came out of the ship, they met him immediately. Now where did they come from? Verse 2 says... They met him out of the sh- they met him out of the tombs. So here's a man who's living in the tombs. Now I've never I've been my wife and I've been to Israel twice. We've been on the Sea of Galilee twice, and we've been with a lot of places around the Sea of Galilee. But the region of Gadara we've not been to. But they say you can go there, and you can actually see some of these tombs. They're like caves. They're like places where they would entomb bodies. They would they would put the deceased people there and so he there's a man living living in the graveyard. Imagine that. Try to imagine if you could this morning the emotional condition of a man living alone in these burial tombs in the mountains and hills around the Sea of Galilee. And God is going to give us a very graphic description of this man it says he had an unclean spirit which very simply means he was possessed with devils or with demons the word unclean means he was to me to be something um, morally unclean something lewd something impure and and it all came from this possession of these these devils inside this person you know when i read the bible again it makes to me it makes the events of the Bible come alive so we can see them and understand them. It also makes me think about the condition of mankind in general. And when I think about trying to, we talked about this some in Sunday school today in our Bible study at 10, trying, I try to process, in my mind, the moral depravity of our culture. And I think the older a person is, maybe the harder they have time they have wrapping around their mind around what's taking place. Because for us, it's so so different than it was when we were young people. But the the addiction to sexual sins and incest and and pornography and transsexuality, and you wonder how can things become how can we how do we ever get to this place from where we were just a few hundred years ago or just even for really a few generations ago and the answer to a lot of that is it's really the work of the devil he has planted these seeds of immorality in our culture and it's unclean and that's what this man was he was controlled by these unclean spirits and he was he wasn't just immoral he was uncontrollable he had supernatural strength look in verse Three, it says, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him. No, not with chains. This man couldn't even be restrained with fetters and chains. It says in uh, verse 4, because that he had often, he had been often, not just once or twice, he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Here was a man that could not even be contained or controlled or restrained, no matter what they did. He, had such, he was so demonically controlled, he had this supernatural power. He was so dangerous, he was so feared, that for the sake of trying to restrain him, they chained him up like an animal. In the Gospel of Matthew, he records this incident, and Matthew said he was exceeding fierce so that no man might pass by that way. His, this man was so, so fearful that no one would dare go near where he was. You made sure your children weren't out playing when he was, when he was anywhere around. This is the condition of this man, more like an animal really, than a human. I was reading this, pondering this, and preparing this message yesterday, and I just thought about the effect that evil can have upon people. I was reminded of something happened many years ago. A friend of mine and I were uh, on the East Coast, and we were doing some witnessing, passing out gospel tracts in Atlantic City, New Jersey, and there's a boardwalk there in Atlantic City. It was early in the morning. That's a gambling town. And we were just passing through there and thought we're going to get out and, and pass out some gospel tracks. And, and I, I, I was walking along the boardwalk and there was a man under the boardwalk laying there. And you could tell he was a homeless man laying there. And he had a, he had a wrapper. From a, I guess it was a breakfast sandwich, a McDonald's, a fast food. He was eating something, and probably something he dug out of a dumpster somewhere. as early in the morning. And so I go down and kneel down there to this man, and I'm under this boardwalk, and I'm trying to share the gospel with him. And the thing that stands out in my mind more than anything about this man, it wasn't his condition, it wasn't that he was homeless, it wasn't that he was eating McDonald's. <laughs> um, this is what stood out to me. Was he couldn't, he couldn't talk to me in language I could understand. And by that, I don't mean he didn't speak English. But his, but his communication was almost a, a growl, almost like an animal, like a dog. And that was all, the only kind of noise that would come out of this man. But I'm telling you, that's the effect of sin upon people. And our, and our country is becoming more and more in a place that people are giving them over, themselves over to all kinds of vile wickedness. It says there in verse 4, neither could any man tame him. It goes on and describes this man further. In verse 5 it says, and always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Imagine this. Always, night and day, this man is so tormented. There's no relief from his torment. His days, his nights, all of his moments are filled with pain. Wandering in the mountains, wandering aimlessly, wandering restlessly in the tombs. And the Bible says in verse 5, he's crying. And that word means screaming out, just crying out. In my mind, I'm trying to visualize the haunting sounds of this man, demonically controlled man, crying out in the night. He was a, I'm telling you, this was a real person. This was a real person who lived in the time of Jesus. And the Bible says also in verse 5, he was cutting himself with stones. You know, that's become more and more a part of the culture that we live in, people cutting themselves. Young people in our schools, just more and more. Let me just tell you self mutilation is a sure fingerprint of something that's not of God. Amen. And that's a part. And so here this man is. And, and it, by the way, this was not just a short lived thing. In, in the book of Luke, it says this, and I'll quote it says, he had, he had devils long time. This man was possessed of these evil spirits for a long time. Luke tells us something else about this man that he doesn't say here in Mark, but he'll refer to later. But Luke says, and this is the quote, he wear no clothes. This man, with this characteristic of this unclean spirit, this impure spirit was in modesty, showing their flesh nakedness. And, and I'm telling you, this is just a reminder of what Satan can do to people. He... He tempts, this is how Satan works, young person. He tempts people to sin and then he enslaves them in that sin. He lures us into doing something, into, into some kind of a sinful habit that he might control us. You know, and by the way, that is so descriptive to me. This man is so descriptive of how the devil works. People say, well, I just want freedom. I want the freedom to go where I want to go. I want the freedom to do what I want to do. I want the freedom, you know, to not be restrained by curfews and and these boundaries. I want the freedom. And you know what that oftentimes leads to? It leads to bondage. And that's exactly where this man is. He's controlled. I'm reminded of a verse in Proverbs. I'm going to read it to you so you don't have to look it up. But think about these words as I read them. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. A man's own iniquities shall take him, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sin. And many people can't relate to this, but some of us can. we know what it's like. To find ourselves so far from anything that's righteous and right and true that we're bound. Not free, we're bound. And that's the way the devil works. This man, we don't know what caused this man to end up here. We don't know how he opened up such doors to evil. But now he's lost everything. He's lost his freedom. He's lost his peace of mind. He's lost his fellowship with family and friends. He's a loner. He's lost his reputation. He's lost his dignity. What a great place to be, right? And that's exactly where this man is. And that brings us to verse 6. It says, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Now, he saw Jesus afar off. And he ran and worshipped him. And the interesting thing, let's go back to verse 2, where it says, When Jesus was come out of the ship, immediately there met him a man of the tombs. So I'm trying to put those two statements together. He saw Jesus afar off. And yet when Jesus got to the coast, immediately he was there. So in my mind, I'm thinking he must have seen Jesus while he was out on the Sea of Galilee. I mean, if he saw him from a great distance and he was there when the boat came to shore to greet him, that maybe he saw him coming across the sea. Now, the Bible doesn't say this, and I'm not even certain this is so, but some people have speculated that maybe he even saw when Jesus spoke to those winds and waves and said, peace be still. But when he came to Jesus, the Bible's very clear. He, as soon as Jesus got out of the boat, the man was there. And verse 6 says, he worshipped him. Now the word worship in our Bible means more than just singing a song. We think of worship being singing a song, and it is that. But the word worship means more than that. In, in, the, in the Eastern culture, it meant to bow your knees before someone maybe even lay prostrate before someone. Sometimes they bow their knees before someone with their face to the ground, with their head to the ground. You've seen people like that. That's what it means. And this man, this demon-possessed man, came and just fell at the feet of Jesus, and he worshipped him. And uh, it's an amazing thing to picture. And as he does so, look in verse 7. And cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? Now out of this tormented man comes another voice. This is, I'm sure this is not the man, this is the spirit inside this man recognizing who Jesus is. And he cries out, the Bible says. And notice what he says. What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? These, this devil knew exactly who Jesus was. Right? He knew his name. He not only knew his name, he knew his position. He knew his identity. He knew. He said, you're the Son of the Most High God. And then he said this in verse 7. What have I to do with with thee. And another way of saying that would be what what do you and I have in common? And the answer is obvious. This Jesus has nothing in common with those spirits that are controlling that poor, helpless man. They cried out with a loud voice, and then he says, I adjure thee by God, torment me not He begged Jesus not to torment him. And if we might wonder, well, why would he say, don't torment me? But if you read the next verse, it explains it. Verse 8. For he said unto him, Jesus said unto him, unto this person, and this spirit, really, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. So, if you were questioning if I'm saying the right thing when I say there's a spirit speaking out of this man, Jesus is talking to that spirit. And he says, "'Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit.'" And this, and the devil responded the way he did because Jesus commanded him to come out of the man. Verse 9, "'And he asked him, Jesus asked him, "'What is thy name?' And he answered, saying, "'My name is Legion, for we are many.'" And that, the word legion there is a term that's used for a Roman uh, regiment of soldiers, And it could be up to, can be up to, thousands. Actually, 6,000 could be included in a legion. And notice what he says in verse 9. What is thy name? And he answered saying, My name is legion, for we are many. In other words, there's more than one of us inside this man. Hundreds. Maybe even thousands. Can you imagine what's going on spiritually in this man's life? This poor man who is being driven, who is being tormented by hundreds or maybe even thousands of devils, of demons. It's hard to fathom. It's hard for me to fathom a man more demonically influenced and controlled than this man was. Are you with me? In verse 10... This demon is speaking. And he besought him much that he would not send them, plural, them. He, the spokesperson inside this man, besought Jesus much that he would not send them away out of the country. Don't send us away out of the country. Now one thing is clear to me. And that is these devils knew they did not have an option as to whether they were going to leave or not. They had to leave because someone more powerful than them is calling the shots, right? So they didn't say, don't make us, don't make us, we we just want to stay here. We're going to resist. No, they couldn't resist. So he said, don't send me away out of the country. They they had to obey that command. And it says again, if I'm just looking back at the scripture in verse 10, he besought them, this demon besought him much. This, this didn't just happen one time. He besought him much, not to send them away out of the country. Don't send us away. Now, now, there may be some uncertainty about why that's true. And I've heard some things taught about this from the Scripture that I personally don't agree with. But if you read in the Gospel of Luke, and I want to read to you what Luke says right here. Luke says, they besought him, these demons besought him, That he would not command them to go out into the deep. So, what it appears to me, and I'm 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 settled that this is what it's saying. They 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 didn't want they didn't want Jesus to send them to hell where they belonged. By the way, that's what hell was made for, the devil and his angels, right? And and when they said, "Don't send us out of the country," you know, we we they besought him greatly. They were what I'm thinking they're saying was, is don't, don't make us go to hell. Make us go anywhere, but don't make us go to hell because that's where they're going to spend forever. By the way, if you ever run into anybody that says, well, you know, going to hell is not also such a bad thing. The devils were smart enough to know that hell's not a place they wanted to go. And so it says in verse 11, now there were there nigh under the mountains. We showed you the pictures there of some of those mountains. There was there now into the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him. Now all of them are beseeching him. Not just one. All the devils besought him saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And Jesus gave his approval. Look in verse 13. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000. Mark says, we don't know exactly, but about 2,000 of them. All these devils went into those swine. And they were choked in the sea. They were drowned in the sea. Now, by the way, don't you think... Don't you, can you see a consistent thing right here? The devils were in this man, and they were tormenting him to death... And now the devil's go into the swine and what do they do? They drown themselves into the sea. That's consistent with everything we know about Satan. He came to steal and kill and destroy. He came to ruin people's lives. He came to destroy people's lives. This man before he was delivered was living in where? In the tombs. He was living surrounded by death. And what is he doing? He's cutting himself. That's the nature of the devil. That's the, the nature of our enemy. His, the devil's work can be seen in a culture of death. And once again I say, just glance at our society and you see so much of this in the music, in the media, and things that are popular, in the rise of suicide. It's, all, it's, the, it's the work of the devil. It's the culture of death. So here all these devils go into these swine And the swine go into the sea, and this man, though, finally, can you imagine? I'm going to get to this in a moment, but can you imagine the relief in this man? Can you imagine what it must have been like in his life? Now, verse 14 says, and they that fed the swine fled. Now, they're in trouble, right? I mean, they probably don't own this They don't own the pig farm. They just watch after the pigs. You know, now what are we going to do? All the animals are dead. So they ran into town. They that fed the swine fled and told it in the city, and the country. And they went out. They, talking about the people in the city and the people of the country, they went out to see what it was that was done. They came out to see See what had happened. to See firsthand what in the world has happened. I mean, this man says, you're not going to believe what happened. We're out there watching these pigs. And all of a sudden, thousands of them, they just ran off the cliff and drowned themselves. People said, I got to see that. So they all came out to see. In verse 15. And they come to Jesus. And see him that was possessed with the devil. And had the legion. Sitting. And clothed. And in his right mind. And they were afraid. It's funny to me. They were so afraid of this man, they chained him up, right? And now he's free and now they're afraid. We're going to take up some more of this next week. But notice, the, to me, the great, one of the great words in verse 15 is in the second line in my Bible. I have it underlined twice. And the word is was. See him that was possessed with the devil that was his past they came out and found this man and the man that they knew these people knew this man they they warned their kids don't go near him stay away from that man he was uncontrollable he was evil he was tormented he was violent he was restless he was unclean he was possessed with devils and I'm sure these people that came out had to know him, right? They, had to, they, they may not have recognized his face, but they certainly knew who he was. Some of them may have been the very ones that tried to put chains on him, that put shackles on him, trying to control this man. His reputation was well known. I mean, by the way, think about this man. Young person, think about this man. This was a real man. If you think you got a weirdo living next to you, think about this man right here. You probably got it better than you thought you did. What could help this man? I mean, what could help this man? Self will? Could willpower help this man? Could self determination fix what was wrong with this man? Maybe some program. Maybe if we could just get him in a pro if we could just get that man in a program, my guess is they've tried every program. They tried their best. They tried to bind this man. They put him in chains. They ostracized him. They segregated themselves from him. But even when he's in chains, such the devil gave him such power that he just broke those chains. You know, outward restraint cannot change what's wrong inside of us. Maybe you're sitting here today and you wouldn't I mean I've been around some bad people. I mean I've I've been I've been before I was saved a very evil person. And I've seen people that have lived their whole life in sin, loved ones and friends of mine still to this day who've lived their lives in sin. I've seen people in jail, I've seen people about every imaginable place. But I've never seen anybody in this bad shape, to my knowledge. I've never seen anybody would be even compared to the condition. So I'm not saying anybody here would be like that. But may I say to you today that most of us have been at some time in our life facing things in our own life that we felt powerless to conquer. Maybe you've tried and you failed, maybe to fix some addiction. Maybe you've maybe you've even had programs and tried to do things on your own. And I'm not against programs, but I'm telling you, programs alone cannot fix what's wrong with us. And sometimes it's things like pride and lust or some habit like gambling or drinking or drugs or lying. And I and I truly believe that many people have given up in their life on having any victory. Any lasting victory. Any real victory. But I want to tell you today, there was only one hope for this man. And his name is Jesus. And this man's life was dramatically changed. Dramatically. We'll talk more about that next week. But this is how they found this man. This is how they found this person that they would call a lunatic. This is how they found him. The Bible records that he was, verse 15, he was sitting. He was just sitting. Now sitting, you're all sitting. Sitting doesn't seem like such a great thing, right? We do it all the time. But for this man, this man couldn't be controlled. He couldn't be tied down. He couldn't be restrained. You're thinking I'm talking about one of your children. No, <laughs> Luke gives us a, a little added detail in the Gospel of Luke. This is what it says. Luke says he was, and I quote, sitting at the feet of Jesus. By the way, that's where people ought to be found who have been changed by Jesus. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Not only was he sitting, but look in your ver- Bible there in verse 15. He was clothed. Now there's a change. He's got a new wardrobe. You know, when he got saved, his morality changed. When he got saved, his sense of decency changed. He was clothed. It doesn't tell us if he went to the resale shop, where he got his clothes, but He's already, got, he's, already, he's already settled down. He has peace of mind. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's learning from Jesus. By the time they got out there, he's already got his clothes on. It's interesting. He didn't change anything about his wardrobe in order to be saved. But because his heart was changed, he felt differently about the way he appeared. He was sitting... He was clothed. And thirdly, it says, he was in his right mind. (laughs) By the way, that's great, isn't it? His thinking was changed. His thinking was changed. Now, it doesn't tell us how long, but just think about this. This guy, this guy has been, he's been delivered from his demonic possession. These demons went into these swine, and the swine ran down into the, into the Sea of Galilee, and they drowned. Now, it doesn't tell us, but I doubt if those guys just sat around for a week or two's vacation because they went into town, right? No, I think they went right into town and said, hey, you got to see what happened. And as soon as people got out there, this man's already changed the way he's thinking, changed the way he's dressing, changed the way he's acting. How did he learn all that so quick? I'll tell you how he learned it. He got saved. It changed his life. His thinking was changed. By the way, it's hard to get a person to want to live like a Christian who doesn't have a change in the way they're thinking. There's so many things I I remember that I wish I could forget. And there's so many things that I've forgotten that I wish I could remember. And add to that the things that I remember that never happened. I've got a lot going on in my head. But... But I remember after I got saved. And it was within a day or two, we were coming home from work. I worked with a guy. And he was driving and and I uh, was in the passenger side. And I'd, I'd only been saved. I'm sure it hadn't been a week. It probably was the next day or the day after that. And he did what we often did. He pulled into the store and we was get some beer just to get us... To the next place we were going I, and I can still see myself sitting on the passenger side of that truck thinking I can't do this I shouldn't do this I would never heard a sermon about drinking but my thinking was already changing and it wasn't many weeks my wife was gone we lived in this little frame house and uh, my wife was gone somewhere I was home that night Fairly certain it was a Friday or Saturday night. It just came into my mind. All that music that I'd listened to that had been a big part of the rebellion of my life. I thought, you need to get rid of that stuff. I started a fire in the fireplace and just started burning those old album covers and things. You know why? Because my thinking had changed. No one had ever preached to me about the evils of wicked music. About that same time, I I wrote a letter to her dad, my father-in-law, and just told him what a jerk I'd been, the way I'd treated his daughter, the way I'd treated their family. Asked him if he could, Do he please forgive me. You know why? Because I thought it came into my head. I'm telling you, when you get saved, things change. Your thinking changed. You're thinking about what's right and what's wrong. It changes. That's what salvation does to a person. And by the way, I'm telling you my story not to brag about me or anything. I'm just, anybody in this room that's been saved any length of time, you could say the same thing. Things happen. All of a sudden I realized why did I do that? I'm telling you, what a difference Jesus makes in a person's life. You know, I was thinking about this storm they came through. I'm going to wrap this up. But I was thinking about this storm that they came through and how they were all panicking. Remember that from last Sunday? Just panicked and fearful. And Jesus, why don't you care? Why don't you wake up? Don't you know we're about to drown? The boat's filling with water. But you know what? All that time, Jesus is sleeping. But Jesus knows what's going to happen when he gets over there to this. He knows what's going to meet him on that. Eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee There's going to be a man there And his life's going to be permanently changed What a difference Jesus makes Let me ask you this today Has Jesus changed your life? You know where it all started for this man? It's when he came to Jesus It's when he came to Jesus Only Jesus can save us Only Jesus can forgive us only Jesus can change us. He changes lives. He, he literally changes lives. He has the power to transform lives and it 's all through what He did on the cross for us. You know though everyone in this room that 's been saved knows you didn't get saved by, go, by somehow you know jumping through a bunch of hoops here 's how we get saved. We understand that Jesus Christ came to this earth for one purpose, and that is to save sinners. And He lived a perfect life. He never once sinned. And at about the age of 33 years old, they crucified Him. They nailed Him to a cross. They beat Him to a pulp. They crushed a crown of thorns on His head. They mocked Him. They ridiculed Him. They blasphemed Him. But he was, like Isaiah said, a lamb taken to the slaughter. He was taken to the cross to be a sacrificial lamb for every sinner that's ever lived on this planet. And he died on the cross. He suffered and died a literal death on the cross. They took his lifeless body off of that cross and put it in a borrowed tomb and sealed it so no one could get in and he couldn't get out. He was graveyard dead for three days and three nights. But three days later, He raised from the dead. And offers eternal salvation and forgiveness of sin to every person, no matter where they live or what they've done, if they'll put their faith and trust in Him for salvation. And I'm telling you, religion can't save you, and it couldn't save me. But Jesus Christ can save us and forgive us and change our lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God into salvation. You say, well, how could I be saved? You have to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's how I got saved. It wasn't through joining the church or getting baptized or obeying a bunch of sacraments. No, it's through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you're not saved, He wants to save you. He loves you. And I'm telling you today... If he can save and change that man, he can save and change any person. You say, what do I need to do? You need to receive Christ as your Savior. Put your faith in him. Just a moment. In just a moment, we're going to have the music playing and we're going to pray. And if, that's, if you want to do that, you can do it right where you sit, right where you stand. Any A thief in the Bible, a thief on the cross got saved just hanging on the cross. Put your faith and trust in Christ. Or maybe you need help. You could come here and say, I need somebody to just walk me through this or help me with this or explain it better. We're here to help you today. You could do that today. And then maybe you're here today and you say, well, I, I really believe I'm saved. But there's just some things in my life that I just, I just don't seem to be able to change them. I'm going to tell you today, there's no bondage that he cannot break. There's no past that He cannot forgive. There's no hurt that He cannot heal. I'm telling you, Jesus can do everything. Come to Him today. Amen?